Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Remember last week when I talked about Table 1 that was on the CDC website on National Health Statistics? Remember that, Mr. Producer? I talked about the deaths, the number during the week of July 4th. Well, I went back to look for it. It's not there anymore. It said 71. We have a photo shot of it. It's not on the CDC website anymore. The CDC keeps playing with its numbers. It keeps moving charts around. Where's the uh, investigative journalism, the intrepid journalists? Why don't they keep an eye on this? What happened to that chart? It's missing. Well, you can't question the CDC because they're so competent, ladies and gentlemen. The CDC working with the other uh, science experts and medical experts in our federal government, we're not ready for this pandemic or really any pandemic. And now they are leaking, and now the great Fauci, the great Fauci, how dare the president question Anthony Fauci? There have been a lot of scientific and medical experts who have questioned the great Anthony Fauci. From one top school after another, whether Stanford as I've said before, Yale, Oxford, Rockefeller College, other universities and colleges of note, who've been very critical of Fauci for the last two and a half months. And I watched the press conference today with the magnificent press secretary, and it's like watching a bunch of Democrats, a gaggle of Democrats, with their talking points. That's it. The kamikaze reporters. Well, I'll remember about, I'll remind you about Anthony Fauci. 
Anthony Fauci's lucky he's not practicing medicine in the private sector. I think he'd have a problem with his, uh, with his insurance at this point. Now, this is a man who positions himself and then press position him as the number one authority on all diseases, all infectious diseases. He's been in the government for half a century. And Greg Kelly, a Newsmax host, January 21, we've played it before, but just to refresh your memories, here's the great Dr. Anthony Fauci on Newsmax, again, January 21, cut five, go. Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. I see. <laughs> I see. So, you know, any other doctor in the country who talks like that would have his license pulled. Considering when he says things, for the left particularly, it's like uh, Confucius. Confucius says. Five days later, on the Cats Roundtable, John Castamitis, the great owner of WABC Radio, the mothership, Dr. Fauci during that podcast, five days later, January 26th, was asked again, and here's what he said, cut three, go. What can you tell the American people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about because we have ways of preparing, of screening, of people coming in, and we have ways of responding like we did with this one case in Seattle, Washington, who had traveled to China and brought back the infection. Hmm. Notice the Democrats in the media never discuss these two clips. They never discuss these two clips. Now, when I interviewed the Fouch on March 22nd, he was extremely impressed with the president, the vice president, and how they were responding. March 22nd, two months after... The Fouch made those outrageous comments. Now, if you're the President of the United States and you're listening to the great Dr. Fauci, why would you do anything? You said, don't worry about it. The numbers, are, you don't need this. It's going to be okay. Don't sweat it. You know, we also have where he says, uh, don't get masks. How many people died as a result of following his advice? How many doctors and hospitals weren't prepared as a result of following, quote-unquote, the science? How many other people are going to ask that question? None. Instead, we're talking about the Washington Redskins and what the new names of the Redskins will be. Well, here's Dr. Fauci on Life, Liberty, and Levin on March 22nd, talking about the president and what the president has done with respect to the virus. Cut one, go. There's this statement put out, some in the press, some in the opposition party, the president, that the president doesn't follow the science. President following the science? 
every single time that I, and, and when I say every day, it's like almost every day. <laughs> it's not like once a month. Um, we, we're in the, in the task force meeting. There are several of us, myself included, I'm not the only one, that's a scientist or a public health person. There are other people who have other responsibilities, so we get a good sampling of, of expertise that you need. And it's led by the vice president. Secretary Azar is there as the secretary of HHS. And we talk about every aspect, and we, we make all of our decisions and recommendations that are based on the science. I have never, in that room, had a situation where I said, scientifically, this is the right thing to do it, and they said, don't do it, or scientifically, this is the wrong thing to do, and they did it anyway. Then we get up and we present it to the president, and he asks a lot of questions. That's his nature. He's constantly asking you questions. And I never, in the multiple times that I've done that, where I said, for scientific reasons, we really should do this, that he hasn't said, let's do it. Or when he's decided, not decided, when he suggests, why don't we do this? And I say, no, that's really not a good idea from a scientific standpoint. He has never overruled me. All right. And my, my sense is now, if Fauci had his way, schools would be closed, the economy would be closed. Okay. Fauci is somewhat of a scientific expert, somewhat of a medical expert. He was horrifically wrong early on on the China virus. Horrifically wrong. Horrifically wrong. And, of course, the science experts in the federal government didn't have any tests, any useful tests that are available. So the President of the United States had to build all that capacity up from the bottom up. He had to fill all the voids that the governors, the governors have the responsibility for ventilators. The governors have the responsibility for ICU beds and so forth. President had to backstop all of that. Obama, Biden left them nothing. How do I know? Because they also left them Fauci. You got nothing to worry about here. Everything's going to be just fine. I wouldn't get the masks. The masks are useless today. Everybody hunker down, get back in the basement, back in the attic. Everybody wear masks 24-7. How come they didn't go to Fauci during the mostly peaceful protests, Mr. Producer? How come they didn't ask Fauci, are these mostly peaceful protests good? In terms of the spread? In terms of the virus? They didn't ask Fauci about that. I wonder why. Because maybe they would have gotten an answer they didn't like. As a matter of fact... While they're recovering the mostly peaceful arsonists and looters and rioters and killers and rapists and all the rest, while they're recovering them, barely, while they're recovering them, not once they even talk about the science. Where was the Fouch? He was nowhere. Where was he? Nowhere. Also, March 22nd, my interview with uh, Anthony Fauci. Cut to go. Dr. Fauci, let me ask you a question. You've been doing this a long time. Have you ever seen this big of a coordinated response by an administration to, to such a threat, a health threat? Well, we've never had a threat like this, and the coordinated response has been, uh, there are a number of adjectives to describe it, impressive, I think, is one of them. So let's stop right here. So we've been hearing from Nancy Pelosi, who can't even pick a plastic surgeon properly, but she knows all about science. And the others, the other useless demagogues and their propaganda in and out of the media. 
about how Trump got off the starter's gate slow. He didn't tell you enough. Here's the expert they rely on, right? The Fouch. What's he say? He's never seen a coordinated effort like this. The president's been following the science. And he says uh, the adjective he uses is impressive. Wow. How come the media don't repeat any of that? Well, we know why. These are rhetorical questions. Because they're frauds. Go ahead. I mean, we're talking about all hands on deck. Is that I, I, as one of many people on a team, I'm not the only person, since the beginning that we even recognized what this was, I have been devoting almost full time on this, almost full time. I'm down at the White House virtually every day with the task force. I'm connected by phone uh, throughout the day and into the night. When I say night, I'm talking 12, 1, 2 in the morning. I'm not the only one. There's a whole group of us that are doing that. It's every single day. So I can't imagine that, that under any circumstances that anybody could be try- doing more. Wow. These are all campaign clips if the Trump campaign wants to use them. Aren't they? Don't they counter everything the media and the Democrats? Well, that was then and this is now. Yeah, that was then and this is now. And I want Dr. Fauci and the other quote-unquote experts, I want them to tell us about all the other maladies and all the other statistics in terms of illnesses and deaths that, is re- that have resulted as a result of their lockdown. I want to know. And we can't get the information. You can go on the CDC. It's not there. It's not there. How many people who might have lived had their condition been uncovered, had they not have stayed away from the hospitals? If it wasn't called elective, the word elective surgery or elective anything, how many of them would be alive today? Or how many of them who are suffering today, wouldn't be suffering today. We don't get that information. You're not going to get it from the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. Remember, their job, as they define it, and they define it, is to take out Trump. So you're not going to get news. And when you watch these press conferences, you can see it. There's Jim Acosta. Yeah, yeah, well, He is sort of the... the Maxine Waters of the press. May I say that, Mr. Producer? Pretty much. Sounds like it. It's an idiot. But he's not alone. They got some 13-year-olds in there, barely post-pubescent reporters, going on, hey, let me ask you, it's just so stupid. Now, I just said on the air in front of millions of people that I had a chart that I used last week, Table 1. They came off the CDC uh, statistical site, the National Health Care site, that isn't there anymore. What happened to it? You had zero deaths yesterday, as I understand it, in New York City. One of the reasons, I believe, is Cuomo's not sticking at coronavirus-positive patients in nursing homes anymore. You know, after his sixth or seventh thousandth death, he finally figured out, hey, you know what, you know what, uh, Chris? Uh, I think it's a bad idea to put the people uh, together with the, with the virus and the frail and the elderly. I think that's a bad idea, Chris. Six, seven thousand deaths later. 
So the President of the United States has followed the science, even when it comes to the schools. Even when it comes to the schools. I'll get into that a little later. We've got a ton to cover. I'll be right back. Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now, when you uh, listen to the media, and when you listen to the Democrats like Kamala Harris, and others who are positioning themselves for the VP slot, or Nancy Pelosi, who suffers from the Joe Biden uh, disease, When you listen to them, they have no plan or no answer on how to address this virus. All they keep saying is, we're opening too soon. Listen to Fauci. We should have nationalized our industries, and we should have done more testing. Now, these are people like Pelosi and Biden who've been in Washington forever. They have oversight responsibility. They'll tell you this day and night when it comes to the president's taxes and bank accounts and finances. Maybe they should be focusing on real stuff. Maybe if, if they weren't trying to impeach the president, remove the president, investigate the president, they'd have time for actual oversight. But the fact is, they have no plan. They have no answer. They don't know anything about tests. That's why they don't give you answers other than these, these typical knee-jerk left-wing platitudes. And now they want to use Fauci, who's a liberal, against Trump. Because Trump is the president, and he has to look at the whole horizon. And he sees that we've got to get our economy running, that people need to work, or the whole damn system will collapse. Now, the Democrats want the whole damn system to collapse. They, built, they back Black Lives Matter, which says, either you do what we tell you, or give us what we demand, or we're going to burn the system down. So the Democrats are hoping the coronavirus is a way for them to burn the system down. The president doesn't want to burn the system down. He wants them to open the schools because that's what the data tells us to do. And he wants to open the economy carefully, but open it. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, 
and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, the conscience of conservatism. Call Mark now at 877-381-3811. You know, I'm watching uh, the uh, discussion about the Roger Stone commutation. And it's mostly quite pathetic. I read the National Review editorial. They do editorials when they want, don't want names attached to them, which was truly pathetic. Absurd, actually. And I listened to the usual howling hyenas on Capitol Hill and in the media who embraced or even celebrated every one of the outrageous pardons and commutations of the Democrats. Roger Stone is not a public enemy. Mueller should never have been appointed. And I don't believe uh, Stone should ever have been prosecuted. There is a thing called prosecutorial discretion. If we were going to prosecute everybody who lied to Congress, we should take a crime tape and just wrap it around the Capitol building, Mr. Producer. And include the members and their staff for the most part. Politics more and more is about the art of lying. Just a matter of where you lie and how you lie. Some people lie and they're celebrated for their lies. Other people lie and they are prosecuted. And of course Clapper lied under oath. And he got a TV gig. Brennan lied. He got a TV gig. Although we don't hear much from them now, do we? No, we don't. So these crocodile tears are really a joke. I don't really care what the Justice Department wanted to do in the Stone case. I used to work there. There's a lot of people they'd throw in prison that I wouldn't. And they have a checkered record when it comes to politicians. Ted Stevens is a perfect example. But he's not the only one. The case against Weinberger they used in the Iran-Contra matter was outrageous. What they did to that man was absolutely outrageous and very political. And of course, that was the independent counsel. But nonetheless, process crimes, we call them. Process crimes. And then when you watch bail reform, which is another way of letting hoodlums get out of prison... People pulling down statues, arsonists, looters, worse, in the front door, out the back door within hours. You see people who aren't being prosecuted by the Manhattan DA, Cy Vance Jr., and many others. And then you see what's being done to the couple in Missouri, St. Louis, who brandished their weapons because they were threatened, their lives and their home and their dog. And I'm supposed to get worked up about a commutation of Roger Stone? I think the president did exactly the right thing. And I suspect if he's reelected, he'll do more of it, and he should. And he should. 
Where's McCabe today? It's a free man. Shouldn't be. The former head of the FBI. Where is he? Comey. Stroke. Page. All of them. Did enormous damage to this country. National Review writes a truly pathetic editorial. It's indefensible, they say, the commutation. Well, ladies and gentlemen, most commutations and pardons, you're commuting the sentence or pardoning an individual based on a conviction. How many pardons and commutations, based on what the National Review editorial says, are defensible? But some are more outrageous than others. And that's the context in which you have to look at this, because then all the hypocrites expose themselves. I heard one commentator say, well, he was only going to get 40 months, and then we're going to give him nine years under this. Who cares? Who gives a damn? The president has the same authority to act as the court does. In fact, the district court's created by Congress. The president's pardon and commutation powers are created by the Constitution. He is the executive branch. And next, I believe, he'll see how things play out. He'll need to address the Mike Flynn case. And so context is everything. What's been done to this president, what was done to his campaign, unprecedented, outrageous. Scandal of scandals. What was done to him during his transition, what was done to him as president, he, this man hasn't had a, a single day where he can conduct himself as president without people investigating him and charging him with, a, with allegations and all the rest of it. So he commutes the three-plus-year prison sentence of uh, Roger Stone. As Ron Scarborough points out in the Washington Times, he ought to be writing the editorials for National Review. When Obama was leaving office, he pardoned his reputed favorite general, retired Marine Corps General James Cartwright, who had pleaded guilty to a felony of lying to the FBI about his role in leaking to the press details about a highly classified program to computer virus damage Iran's nuclear weapons program. That's a big deal. It's like Comey skated. Comey skated. Did the Democrats and the media get up in a big fury because Comey skated? No, they thought it was great. These men have damaged the institutions that they led. Roger Stone didn't lead anything. And his indictment, really, at the 11th hour, was an outrage. Everybody with any common sense knows it. And he was to be sentenced in early 2017 prior to the executive clemency. The Cartwright pardon was a bit of a policy flip for Obama, whose administration aggressively hunted down jail press leakers. Obama commuted a 35-year sentence of a major leaker of secret documents, former Army Private Chelsea Manning, in a move critics say was motivated by LGBTQ politics. She later unsuccessfully ran for the Senate as a Democrat. Now, this is the big one. In another move, critics say was motivated by politics. Obama commuted the sentence of convicted Puerto Rican terrorist Oscar Lopez Rivera, who helped found the violent FALN. Between 74 and 83, the FALN claimed responsibility for more than 70 bombings in New York, Chicago, and Washington. In all, five people were killed in those attacks. 
You see, the Democrats have a high tolerance level for violence from Marxists, from leftists, domestic terrorists. I mean, that's who introduced Obama to politics. But Stone, man, I'll tell you what. He's a danger to society. 70 bombings. That's 70 bombings more than Stone ever did. Five people killed. That's five more people killed than Stone was ever involved in. It's indefensible. But then we have Bill Clinton. Pardon the CIA director, John Deutsch, who had agreed to plead guilty to a misdemeanor charge of mishandling classified material. Deutsch had not filed a pardon request. What's more, the White House did not consult with prosecutors prior to issuing the pardon. I didn't see any uprising at the Department of Justice, did you? In the waning hours of his presidency, on the morning, the morning of January 20th, he was leaving a few hours later out of the White House. He granted a full pardon to Mark Rich, a billionaire on the run who owed hundreds of millions in taxes. His ex-wife, Denise, contributed over a million dollars to the Democrat Party and candidates. Clinton also commuted the sentence of mega-drug dealer Carlos Vignali from 15 years to a completed six years. His father contributed over 160000 to the California Democrats. Father also paid then First Lady Hillary Clinton's brother, Hugh Rodham, over 200000 argued clemency to the White House. Clinton granted a full pardon to his half-brother, Roger Clinton. On a cocaine distribution conviction. He gave a full pardon to Henry Cisneros, his former HUD secretary. And his mistress, Linda Jones. Cisneros pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. And pardons and so forth that uh, Obama gave. Almost 2,000. Commuting sentences in almost 2,000. So far, Trump, the count is 36. He's been very sparing in his use of the pardon power and the commutation power. But it's indefensible. We've never seen anything like this, ladies and gentlemen. Never seen anything like Roger Stone. My God. We got to get him. Why? Because he's a Republican. Why? Because people dislike him. Why? Because he's a friend of Trump's. Why? Because anything to defeat Trump. So this is a non-story. This is a nothing burger. This is a zippo. When you put it in context. When you look at what's going on in the streets. People are self-professed Marxists. They're militarists. They're violent. They're organizing to overthrow the country. They're organizing riots and looting and arson. People are getting beaten. People are being killed. It's called mostly peaceful. These are Bernie Sanders supporters for the most part. who are switching over to Biden for the purpose of defeating Trump. Media is pretty good with all this. And, you know, what's the big deal? You know, these things happen. No problem. But Roger Stone commute his set. Not even give him a pardon. Commute his sentence. My God, how can we do this? And then what do the media do? I was discussing this with my wife. They go to Democrats for their input. They go to former prosecutors for their input. And of course, you have a judge in this case, 
Judge Jackson, who is a hack, an Obama hack. That's right, Judge. I called you a hack. What are you going to do about it? You're a disgrace. She knows the Joy Four woman. She knows the Joy Four woman was anti-Stone and anti-Trump. Didn't affect this judge whatsoever. So she's not the honorable Judge Jackson. She's the dishonorable Judge Jackson. Then she puts a a clamp on the ability of Roger Stone to speak publicly. Why? So the media can keep attacking the guy and he can't defend himself. Like CNN that was there for the arrest. Wow. Just happened to be there at Roger Stone's house. And CNN lies about it. No, no, no. This is indefensible, you see. No, what's indefensible is the National Review anymore. Sometimes Lowry writes the smartest stuff. And then he's got these never-Trumpers who write the dumbest stuff. And then he's got people who are sort of by... By what? By Trump, by never-Trump. Oh, we decide everything on the issues. No, no, you really don't. So he's got his hands full over there. And the way I look at it is... We're looking into the abyss. It's all hands on deck. You can have your disagreements with the president, but three and a half years, almost four years of trying to sabotage him is unacceptable to me. And we know who the names are. It's the same ones over and over and over again. Now they hide behind the editorial nomenclature. When they're so smart, this is indefensible. This was all 40 months. What's the big deal? 40 months. That's okay. 40 months. 40 months is longer than Comey ever served. McCabe, Stroke, all the other plotters. They haven't been threatened with any time yet. Not one minute. Indefensible. What's indefensible are the constant attacks, attacks, attacks. You look around the country, you see cities that were burning, you see riots taking place, you see monuments being pulled down, you see corrupt mayors, corrupt prosecutors. And the president is attacked. He's attacked. Indefensible is a strong word. It's written by somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
George Soros. You know, the Democrats have uh, billionaires who are, real, who are willing, to, willing to spend their money. Republicans have a handful. But the Democrats have a crapload of billionaires who are prepared to spend their money to take down the country. As the Daily Wire says, the Open Society Foundation, a network of nonprofits founded by George Soros, is investing massive amounts of cash into black-led racial justice groups and activism. The Open Society Foundation's announced its new initiative today. The cash infusion into racial justice activist organizations comes after massive protests erupted over the death of George Floyd. There weren't massive protests that erupted over George Floyd. This was exploited by these radical groups. They were waiting for a big event, and they got one. The killing of George Floyd. Taking down the country has nothing to do with the killing of George Floyd. The wave of protests and unrest across the nation is the moment we've been investing in for the last 25 years, Open Society Foundation's president, Patrick Gaspar told the New York Times, see my point? There is this call for justice in black and brown communities, an explosion of not just sympathy, but solidarity across the board. Actually, the explosion is among particularly the lily white college graduate community or college student community. So it's time to double down. And we understood we can place a bet on these activists, black and white, who see this as a moment of not just incrementalism, But wholesale reform, I'm telling you, we're under attack. We're under attack. And these idiots who sit in front of their keyboards, you know, that that, that commutation was uh, really indefensible. uh, These are the fools. Most of the allocated money, $150 million, will go to black-led, I'm quoting, justice organizations in the form of five-year grants designed for groups to continue working after outrage over the death of Floyd and other subsides and fundraising shrinks. In other words, we're going to pump money into this counter-revolution come hell or high water. The demands being made now will not be met overnight, and we know the gaze of media and elected officials will turn in other directions. But we need these moments to be sustained. If we're going to say black lives matter, we need to say black organizations and structures matter. They're not going away. This is indefensible, don't you think, Mr. Producer? He went on in the New York Times. He said, quote, We recognize the struggle to dismantle systemic racism is an ongoing one. It has existed from the dawn of the republic to the present day. And it's embedded in every level of government, in our penal system, in justice system. But the power surge of the people who've taken to the streets to demand that this nation do better gives hope to us all. And just in case... We're going to spend a quarter of a billion dollars or more to keep fanning the flames. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. 
Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So I said the other day, I'm not a fan of Mar- Malcolm X, but he said something that I thought was quite profound and yet quite obvious. He said what he said back then, Negroes, but African-Americans have the white liberal to fear more than the white conservative because the liberal will use you for power and then dismiss you. I paraphrase, but I'm pretty close. And I got to thinking about this today as I drove back to Virginia from New Jersey. The Jewish community has more to fear from the liberal because the liberal does the same thing with the Jewish community. The liberal Jews are more committed, in my opinion, to the Democrat Party than to their own faith. Obviously, there's some exceptions, but not a lot. The more committed to the left-wing ideology than their own faith. And I'm not saying you have to be Hasidic or Orthodox or anything like that. That's not my point. And when you see the growing anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party, I'm sure many of you who are Gentiles, you think to yourself, well, why are these Jewish people voting for Democrats when... That's the party where you can see the growing anti-Semitism. It's a very good question. It's the same reason I believe that a lot of African Americans vote for Democrats, even though the Democrats use them to get power. To get power. And so you see the same thing when it comes to, in my view, the Jewish community. Now, there's some exceptions. Again, I'm generalizing, but I think I'm, I'm over the target. And so you actually have Jews who will vote for Democrats who support policies that are hostile to Jews and hostile to Israel. For instance, there's many liberal Jews who, believe, who support AOC. And yet she's an anti-Semite. There's many liberal Jews in Minnesota that voted, no doubt, for Keith X, Keith Ellison, for Attorney General. And yet he was linked with Farrakhan. And he was the deputy chairman, as I recall, of the DNC. You have many liberal Jews who voted for Obama for president. He's the most hostile president against Israel in American history. And you actually have people like Schumer... Who carried out his deeds? I've said to you many times, the Democrat Party is a very evil institution when you look at American history. It's a very evil institution. Which brings me to the New York Times. As you know, an unfreedom of the press, using the excellent scholarship of three professors, 
I ex- help expose what the New York Times did during the uh, slaughter of the Ukrainians in 1932. Millions starved them to death. Stalin. And how the New York Times Moscow correspondent, long time, 12 years, Walter Durani was on the take with Stalin. Stalin provided him with a girlfriend who he got pregnant, provided him with wonderful food, provided him with transportation, whatever he needed. And in exchange, Durante wrote propaganda. And he covered up what Stalin was doing to Ukrainians. He was starving them to death. And a decade later, the New York Times did the very best it could to push the Holocaust into its back pages, the extent to which it covered it at all. Now, the ownership was mostly Jewish, but they weren't really practicing Jews. They did not believe in a Jewish state, as I write in the book. But they were joined by anti-Semites in the Franklin Roosevelt administration, at the State Department, at the predecessor to the CIA, and in the FDR White House. But the reason doesn't matter as much as the fact that they did it. But there's a lot of history about the New York Times that I didn't know about. And Michael Goodwin, the New York Post, pulled it together from various sources. And let's start this so you understand what I'm talking about. Goodwin's piece, Why the New York Times Praises Cancel Culture but Skips Over Its Own Racist History. In a recent article about Mount Rushmore... The New York Times said of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt, that, quote, each of these titans of American history has a complicated legacy. Reporters Brian Petch and J.C. Fortin casually summarized the woke herd's litany of grievances. Washington and Jefferson owned slaves. Lincoln was reluctant and late to issue the Emancipation Proclamation and re- I could I could so easily refute this stuff, but let me just go through the column. And Roosevelt actively sought to Christianize and uproot Native Americans. Rushmore sculptor, Gutzon Borgullum, didn't escape unscathed. He'd been involved with another project, they write, an enormous bass relief at Stone Mountain in Georgia that memorialized Confederate leaders, the reporters wrote. There was little in the story that was remarkable, and that was the point. The Times is the chief media cheerleader for the chaos unfolding across this nation. Routinely eviscerates America's heroes, its culture, and through the paper's 1619 project, its founding. Four years after it abandoned its traditional standards of fairness to try and defeat Donald Trump, I I would disagree with that, but it doesn't matter. It abandoned those standards long ago, but they're in uh, hyper, hyper mode now. The paper is now fixated on rewriting the story of America. The drive-by attack on the Rushmore presidents was part of its cancel culture agenda. Yet the Times has never applied its own history to the standards it uses to demonize others. If it did, reporters there would learn that Ox Sulzberger family that has owned and run the paper for 125 years has a complicated legacy of its own. That legacy includes Confederates in the closet, men, and at least one woman who supported the South and slavery during the Civil War. In fact, Times Patriarch Adolf S. Ox contributed money to the very Stone Mountain Project and other Confederate memorials 
the Times now finds so objectionable. To be clear, he says, I detest the Times' determination to judge and revise history using criteria conceived 20 minutes ago. The paper's Marxist-inspired activism and race-based fetish have taken it so far off course that it no longer functions as an actual newspaper. Amen to that. Having spent my formative years at the Grey Lady, he writes, I came away with immense respect for the editors committed to fair and impartial news coverage. That commitment started with Ox, who from the day he took control of the Times in 1896, insisted on a strict separation of news and opinion, a tradition that lasted more than a century. It was those traditions, he writes, fairness and safeguards against reporters' bias that gave the paper its credibility and made it the flagship of American journalism. But those days are gone, with the standards eroded slowly at first and then abolished under current executive editor Dean Barquette. Every story these days is an editorial as the paper demands that every institution and individual conform to the Times' views or be denounced as racist, homophobic, Islamophobic, and misogynist. Because of the Times' exceptional influence, its demagoguery is playing a major role in shredding the fabric of our country. At the very least, the paper ought to be honorable enough to apply its freshly minted standards to its own past. If it did... I believe the owners, editors, reporters, and stockholders would be shocked by what they discover. And what is that past? We're going to take a break now, so I have time to give it to you from the article that Michael Goodwin has written. What is the past? What are the ties to slavery and the Confederacy and segregation? Well, apparently they're numerous and very deep. I'll be right back. Mark in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. New York Times, the legacy they want you not to know about. Michael Goodwin's piece, the legacy complications at the New York Times begin with Ox, a Tennessee businessman who took control of the struggling New York Times when he was just 38 years old. He already owned the Chattanooga Times, which he called a conservative Democratic newspaper at a time when nearly all black citizens in the South were Republicans. As he put it when he took control in 1879... The Chattanooga paper would, quote, move in line with the conservative democracy of the South, unquote. He and his descendants continued to own that paper until 1999, including during the enforced segregation of the Jim Crow era. An example of the Chattanooga Times tenor involves the infamous Scottsboro Nine case of 1931, 
which involved false allegations of rape against nine black teens by two white women. An editorial was headlined, quote, Death Penalty Properly Demanded in Fiendish Crime of Nine Burly Negroes. And the paper's trial reporter called the defendants beasts unfit to be called human, according to Racial Spectacles, a 2011 book on race, justice, and the media. When Ox came to New York, he brought his southern sympathies with him. Ten years after he took over the New York Times, it ran a glowing profile of Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy during the Civil War. The 1906 article was billed as a celebration of the Davis centenary and was published on the anniversary of the great Southern leader's death, quote-unquote. Ox's parents, Julius and Bertha Levy, were German Jew immigrants, German Jewish immigrants, who met in in the American South, yet had very difficult, uh, excuse me, very different views on slavery. I'm reading with one eye here. While living with an uncle in Natchez, Mississippi, Bertha developed a fondness for it, a fact noted in family histories. In The Trust, a 1999 authorized biography of the Ox Sulzberger families, authors Susan Tift and Alec Jones write that Julius had witnessed slave auctions and described them as villainous relic of barbarism. But Bertha, that'd be his wife, embraced a contemptuous antebellum view of blacks and for the rest of her life was dogmatically conservative, even reactionary. In other words, pro-slavery. She was, they said, determined to preserve the South's peculiar institution, quote-unquote. One of her descendants referred to her as the Confederate lady. I'm aware of no evidence or claims that any members of Bertha's family owned slaves or participated in the slave trade, Goodwin writes. But during the Civil War, Bertha had at least one brother who joined the rebel army, and she herself was suspected of being a spy. On one occasion, she was caught smuggling medical supplies from Ohio to rebel-held Kentucky. At the time, the family was living in Cincinnati, where Adolph was born in 1858, and a river separated the border states. Gay Talese, in his 1969 book on the Times, The Kingdom and the Power, recounts that Bertha had been threatened with arrest after she was caught taking quinine and other supplies, quinine and other supplies, over a bridge into Kentucky. According to Talese and others, Bertha hid the contraband in a baby carriage. In later years, Adolph Ox and his younger brother, George Washington Ox, oh, do you hear that, Mr. Producer? Each claimed to be the baby in whose carriage their mother hid the contraband. In 1928, the Confederate veteran magazine admired Bertha's boldness, writing that for a mother of Israel to defy her husband and an entire army was no mean assertion of militant feminism in those days. Her husband, however, was rattled by the smuggling, and Julius, who had served in the Union Army, moved the family to Tennessee in 1864, an unusual migration to a Confederate state while the war still raged. After Adolph took over the Chattanooga Times, Brother George became active in local and national Democratic politics. He was appointed police commissioner, was twice elected mayor, then ran the library and school system. And during all those years, Chattanooga was strictly segregated and was the scene of several notorious lynchings of black men. In the last several years before his 1931 death, George, who had changed his name to Ox Oaks, simultaneously served as an officer of both the New York Times Company and the New York chapter of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Meanwhile, Julius Ox had died in 1888, and Union Army vets who attended the funeral draped the American flag over his coffin. But as Robert Rosen noted in his 2000 book, 
the Jewish Confederates, Bertha's 1908 funeral was different. Quote, she was a charter member of the A.P. Stewart chapter of the United Daughters of the Confederacy, and members of her chapter attended the funeral, Rosen wrote, adding, her coffin was, at her request, draped with a Confederate flag. Adolf, the family star and breadwinner, is said to have been especially close to his mother. In 1924, 16 years after her death, he donated $1,000 so her name would be engraved on the founder's role of the Stone Mountain Confederate Memorial in Georgia, which features enormous carvings of Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson on horseback. According to Civil War Times magazine, Ox enclosed a letter with his donation in which he said of his mother, Robert E. Lee was her idol. This is the matriarch of the New York Times. The magazine says Ox helped to fund Confederate cemeteries in Tennessee, Confederate veterans reunions, and the Chickamauga and Chattanooga National Military Park. It is also says his newspapers published numerous editorials, quote, and commemorative editions dedicated to Confederate veterans' activities. Ox was a generous philanthropist in Chattanooga and in 1928 donated land and reported $100,000 to build a new temple there. The building still stands, and the Julius and Bertha Ox Memorial Temple serves about 200 Jewish families. Seven years later, Ox died suddenly in a visit to Chattanooga. For his funeral, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, quote, sent a pillow embroidered with the Confederate flag to be placed in his coffin, Civil War Times reported in 2012. The same article by Dr. David Jackow sparked an uproar when it claimed that certain ceramic tile patterns in the Times Square subway station were meant to echo the Confederate flag and were put there to honor Adolf Ox and his southern sympathies. The station was built in the basement of the Times' first midtown tower, which led the city, the Ox request, to rename what had been Long Acre to Times Square. The station was reportedly remodeled in 1998, but numerous examples of the pattern, a blue X against a red and white background, remained. Now, After the Post, the New York Post, reported on the controversy in 2015, the MTA denied any Confederate connection, with a spokesman saying, it is a geometric pattern, not a flag design. Yet in 2017, after violence broke out in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the planned removal of a Robert E. Lee statue, the MTA switched signals. Now it promised to change the subway tile design so that it absolutely crystal clear it has nothing to do with the rebel flag. I'm going to continue this. We'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. You know, you think about this New York Times newspaper, it's only been owned and controlled by white people the entire time, handed down from one generation to the next. And yet you think about what it writes and says. It's pretty incredible. 
It is an anti-American newspaper. That's what it is today, for sure. So with the country starting to open up again, it's time we start thinking ahead to when things are somewhat back to normal. And that's why my friends at the Media Research Center are doing. They've booked a Caribbean cruise for late February of next year. And you should really consider signing up. Just go to mrccruise.com, mrccruise.com, or call them at 888-MRC-TRIP, 888-MRC-TRIP for all the details. They have a guest speaker lineup, including Brent Bozell, Rick Santorum, Cal Thomas, Larry Soloff, who runs Breitbart, actor Dean Cain, and many others. You can see the full list at mrccruise.com. A lot of people in this audience have gone on MRC cruises. They all tell me they love them. The uh, private group sessions, the dinners with speakers, they're second to none. And the chance to make new lifetime friendships with people who love this country as much as you do and want to save it, I really wish I could go myself. But you know, I've got to be behind this microphone, behind the TV camera, because it sounds like a tremendous amount of joy. Think about how nice it'll be to get away by February. Well over 80 people have already signed up for the MRC's cruise. You should too. Just go to mrccruise.com, mrccruise.com, or call 888-MRC-TRIP, 888-MRC-TRIP. All right, let me finish up this piece. New Yorkers can make up their own minds about the MTA and the tiles. Let's see here. Let's continue, though. Uh, Let's see. I'm just jumping around. In a long, flowery tribute... After his death, the congressional record of the House said the story of Mr. Adolf S. Ox was the story of the New York Times. They are inseparably woven. Indeed, they are, largely because Ox was determined to keep the paper and his family well beyond his life. He and his wife, Effie Miriam Wise, the daughter of a prominent Cincinnati rabbi regarded as the founder of Reform Judaism, had one child daughter, I can't even pronounce this, Ephigene. But Ox rarely hired female reporters, and there was little chance Ephigene would become the next publisher. The job went to her husband, Arthur Hayes Sulzberger, and then to their son-in-law, Orville Dreyfus. Almost looks like Doofus. Upon his death, Ephigene's son, Arthur Ox Sulzberger, became publisher. The men-only pattern continues to this day, with Arthur Ox Sulzberger Jr. following his father. His son, Arthur Greg Sulzberg, now holds the job. That makes five generations of white male heirs running the Times, all chosen under the protection of an unusual trust that allows family members to retain majority control of the board of directors. It's hard to think of any other important American company, a public one at that, with such a long line of family succession. But it's easy to imagine how the Times' social justice warriors would treat any other firm that had even tried. Moreover, with the exception of the last two top editors, all others were white men. Before Baquette, who was black, there was Jill Abramson, who was fired after three years. The paper's last public editor, Liz Spade, said she was struck by the blinding whiteness of the staff when she first entered the newsroom. The Times, like many other corporations of all kinds, has been sued by black employees charging racial discrimination. In any other company, and with so much wealth accumulated by one family, 
That record would be fair game for the paper's journalists, especially given the Confederate connections. In that spirit, it's time for the Times to clean out its closet and live by the standards of purity it demands of others. For a thorough, honest examination of its checkered past, the paper should assign a team of its top investigative reporters to the project. They would get total access to corporate leaders and documents and be free to interview with colleagues. Their marching orders would be to examine the Times in the same way they would examine any other institution, which means they are free to use anonymous quotes. In effect, the paper would be taking a big dose of its own medicine. Whatever the results, they should be published on the front page under the motto that Adolf Ox put there in 1897, all the news that's fit to print. Then hopefully... Humbled and cured of its supremacy delusion, the Times could get back to being a real newspaper and report the news instead of fomenting chaos and division. That's a great piece. It's a great piece by uh, Goodwin. It's important that the New York Times more and more is being exposed for what it is. So, so are the media generally. So are the media generally. And so now... What will happen with the Goodwin piece? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nobody's going to pursue this. Nobody in the press, television, cable, newspapers, magazines, websites, nobody's going to pursue this. Goodwin laid it out, and that'll be the beginning and the end of it. Because you cannot shame, you cannot humble these Marxist and Marxist-like entities. They're on a mission. But it's important to remember this. You want to see what's happening at the Washington Post. The chairman of the board over there at the Washington Post. Who also happens to be the chairman of the board of directors of the Reagan Library and Foundation. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Isn't that shocking? And he was on his knees, much like uh, the commissioner of the NFL. And so they're going to put in place all kinds of stuff to make sure that it's past racism, it's past systemic racism. Doesn't occur ever again over there at the Washington Compost. Apparently these liberal institutions have been very racist. And CNN's Jeff Zucker, Jeff Mother Zucker, another white, liberal, Jewish, In other words, he's another sucker for the Democrat Party. Who, in my opinion, puts party and ideology ahead of faith, ahead of country, ahead of everything else. CNN Jeff Zucker announces new race team. New race team? A new race team? This is at the right scoop. As they pander to Black Lives Matter, CNN's Jeff Zucker just announced this morning that they will be making their divisive race coverage permanent at CNN with the creation of a new, quote, race team, unquote. Jeremy Barr posted, CNN's Jeff Zucker, memo this AM, Today I am pleased to announce that we are making an even more significant, sustained commitment to ensure race coverage is a permanent part of our journalism. There will be a new and expanded race team, as well as more policing coverage. Well, if it's new, how is it new and expanded? It's either new or it's old and expanded. But anyway, it's CNN where illiteracy reigns. 
And as they point out at the site, this obviously has everything to do with Black Lives Matter, who their hosts defend religiously on the channel. They must be fighting it out with MSNBC to try and become the BLM network. Has, uh, has CNN not been covering race, Mr. Producer? Has it not been fomenting uh, race disputes? But they plan to do more. They're down with the revolution. It's amazing they, they just won't be journalists. They just can't do the news, whether it's the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN. That's all, that's all people want from a news entity. If you're going to be an activist organization, then you ought to file uh, the appropriate tax returns. If you're going to be um, involved in issue activities as opposed to politics per se, then go get your nonprofit status at the IRS. If you're going to be involved in political activities, partisan political activities, which CNN is, then go file, again with the IRS. But you're not a news organization. So one day we're going to spend a little bit of time with the question, which I have an unfreedom of the press, is what is a news organization today? They just self-identify? They just put out a shingle and say we're a news organization? That makes it news. And what is a journalist today? You have to get a journalism degree or can you just be a Democrat holdover and then you move over to journalism like many of them have? Now, CNN does not have great ratings. The only time the ratings pop is when they go at it with Trump. When Trump leaves, hopefully in four and a half years, not, not too soon, God willing. CNN will cease to have ratings. It'll, it'll collapse, I believe. I want you to keep something else in mind. CNN is owned by AT&T. Time Warner, which was bought by AT&T. Just as MSNBC and NBC are owned by Comcast. So they're owned by these mega corporations. How many stories has CNN done on AT&T? I don't remember any. Maybe there's one back there somewhere. How many stories has CNN done on Time Warner? I don't remember many or any. See, it's like a protection racket. How many stories has NBC or MSNBC done about Comcast? The cable company, Monopoly for many of you, depending on what community you're in. I don't know of any, do you? How many stories has the Washington Post done about Amazon? And Jeff Bezos, a few, but not many. And you would think Jeff Bezos, with his massive wealth, his interlocking corporate network, all the employees, all the lawsuits that that company has and is dealing with, that it would be a, uh, an easy subject to harvest on a continuing basis, right? right? For a media organization. But notice the Washington Post doesn't do that's how, that kind of reporting. So these massive corporations buy these news operations as protection. Because they don't make much money. CNN's not a profit center. MSNBC's no profit center. Washington Post was saved by Bezos. Not just... Uh, it was, in other words, a profit loser. A capital loser. So I'm convinced a lot of these mega corporations buy these news outlets to protect their own ass. And it works, doesn't it? 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. By the way, you can look at your own faith or ancestry and see that the Democrat Party really does this to everybody. Really, to paraphrase Malcolm X, believe it or not. Look at the Catholic faith and parishioners. Look how the Democrat Party uses you. And you have a number of Catholics in the Democrat Party that use you. Just the issue of abortion alone. The Democrats are pushing for you to pay for abortions, even though it goes against your faith, even though it goes against the faith of Orthodox Jews and Hasidics and and, and everybody who is really of a, a very sort of fundamental viewpoint, evangelical Christians, Muslims. So the Democrat Party uses you too, those of you who vote for them. Look at your faith or look at your race or look at both. Look at your ethnicity. Because the Democrat Party really is a party, it's, it's a conglomerate of various constituent groups. Even constituent groups that don't necessarily agree with each other. So it'll get, it'll get the votes of constituent groups regardless of what they have to do, but they want their power. So it's not just the Jewish community, the black community, as Malcolm X would talk about, It's Catholics, it's Muslims, it's others too. It's a very dangerous party. And that's why you see things going on as you have the last month. It's very dangerous media that we have. Same thing, one and the same really, same ideology. I can expand on this another day. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? Anybody know? It's a system that's so complicated you're never going to use it. This is exactly the type of security system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. They believe that simple is safer, and it's exactly why Simply Safe is the home security for right now, when feeling safe at home has never been more important. Order online with the click of a button, open the box, place the sensors where you want them, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. No technician or salesperson has to come and disrupt your home. This is cutting-edge technology, and it's so simple to put in place. You don't need to pay any outrageous monthly fees or sign a two-year contract. Simply Safe was named Best Overall Home Security of 2020 by U.S. News and World Report, and their 24-7 professional monitoring and emergency dispatch starts at just 50 cents a day. Head to simplysafemark.com, simplysafemark.com, you get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafemark.com to make sure they know that I sent you. But look, let's look at what else is going on in our media when it comes to bigotry, racism, uh, homophobic slurs, and so forth and so on. Joy Reid. Joy Reid is a host on MSNBC. She just got a coveted position, if you can call it such, in MSNBC. 7 p.m. weeknights. That's prime time. So now it's prime time Joy. And Vox, from just a few years ago, it's a left-wing site, 
The Joy Reid controversy from homophobic blog posts to a hacking claim explained. Joy Ann Reid on Saturday apologized for her past hurtful remarks about LGBTQ people following the resurfacing of homophobic blog posts from the mid to late 2000s. Well, I'm doing this to show you who are in the media in some respects and how they get a pass because they're on the left. But she also said that she still doesn't believe that she wrote the blog posts, suggesting without evidence that they were the result of an elaborate hack. This was a lie that she concocted. The host of MSNBC's weekend show AM Joy has been under fire for newly uncovered blog posts published on Reed's now-defunct blog, The Reed Report, in the mid to late 2000s that repeatedly mocked gay people and specific individuals who were allegedly gay. Now, how does anyone get away with this today? This isn't that long ago. And she's going to get a promotion. But she's a Trump hater and she's a leftist. The Post, for example, suggested without much, if any, evidence that Tom Cruise, Carl Rove, and Chief Justice John Roberts' son are gay. Other posts made derogatory remarks about gay people, claiming that, quote, most straight people cringe at the sight of two men kissing, unquote, and that, quote, adult gay men tend to be attracted to very young and post-bubescent types, unquote. One post acknowledged, quote, does that make me homophobic? Probably, she wrote. <clears throat> These are different from pe- previous blog posts that Reid apologized for in December 2017. See, they're not that old. In those posts... Reed wrote that then-Florida Governor Charlie Crist was gay, nicknamed him Miss Charlie, claimed that he only married a woman for political purpose, purposes. Reed said her comments were insensitive, tone-deaf, and dumb. There's no excusing it, and yet she excuses it. Instead of apologizing for more recent posts that have resurfaced, Reed at first denied she posted them all together in a statement to Mediate. She said that the blog posts were the work of hackers, part of an effort to taint her character. And it goes on. And she is a celebrated host on MSNBC. They're just a few years ago. And so there you have the New York Times passing judgment. Joy Reid and MSNBC passing judgment. Well, who else and what else are passing judgment? More when I return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to continue... For the racists, the homophobes, the malcontents, the misgrants, the reprobates, and I've only gotten started in the media. In the media today, 
Let me read something to you. Now, this was a resolution sponsored by Joe Scarborough when he was a congressperson. It was introduced on March 8, 2000 in the House of Representatives. It was about Al Sharpton, who is now Scarborough's colleague and their good friends and a frequent guest on the Scarborough Show. And, of course, he's a host on MSNBC. And this is what Scarborough introduced the resolution on the floor of the House 10, what is it, 20 years ago. Whereas the Congress strongly rejects the racist and incendiary actions of the Reverend Al Sharpton. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has referred to members of the Jewish faith as blood-sucking Jews and Jew bastards. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has referred to members of the Jewish faith as white interlopers and diamond merchants. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton was found guilty of defamation by a jury in a New York court arising from the false accusation that former Assistant District Attorney Stephen Pognonius, who is white, raped and assaulted a 15-year-old black woman, excuse me, black girl as he wrote it, whereas to this day the Reverend Al Sharpton has refused to accept responsibility and expresses no regret for defaming Mr. Pagonis, whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton's vicious verbal and anti-Semitic attacks directed at members of the Jewish faith, and in particular a Jewish landlord, arising from a simple landlord-tenant dispute with a black tenant, incited widespread violence, riots, and the murder of five innocent people. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton's fierce demagoguery, this is Joe Scarborough, incited violence, riots, and murder in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, New York, following the accidental death of a black uh, pedestrian child hit by the motorcade of Orthodox Rabbi Menachem Shanirsen. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton led a protest in the Crown Heights neighborhood and marched next to a protester with a sign that read, The white man is the devil. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has insulted members of the Jewish faith by challenging Jews to violence and stating to Jews to, quote, pin down their yarmulkes. Whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has practiced the politics of racial division and made inflammatory remarks against whites by characterizing the death of Amadou Dio as a racially motivated police assassination. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the House of Representatives, the Senate concurring, that the Congress, one, condemns the practices of the Reverend Al Sharpton, which seek to divide Americans on the basis of race, ethnicity, and religion. Two, expresses his outrage of the violence that has resulted due to the Reverend Al Sharpton's incendiary words and actions. And three, fervently urges elected officials and public servants who have condoned and legitimized the Reverend Al Sharpton's incendiary words and actions to publicly denounce and contemn such racist and anti-Semitic views. Source, the Federalist. And of course, he's a host on MSNBC. He's a frequent guest, and he's celebrated by the media. Al Sharpton. Joy Reid. The New York Times. So many others. And there are many others. I just don't have time to do this all day long. Now let's talk about the head of Media Matters. Another Soros-funded left-wing front group. 
If you look at their website, they spend their entire time trying to destroy the reputations of conservatives in broadcasting and in media. And the media, like Mediaite, the Drudge Report and other sites, pick up where Media Matters feeds them information. This was from the Washington Times a little over a year ago. Media Matters president, Angelo Caruson, says racist anti-Semitic blog posts were parody. Media Matters for America president, Angelo Caruson, claims his whole blog post that denigrated Japanese Americans, Bangladeshis, Jews, and members of the trans community were meant to be interpreted as parody. Media Matters recently launched a boycott campaign attacking Fox News host, they still do it, Tucker Carlson, for old radio appearances with Bubba the Live, the Love Sponge, during which he made comments that many deemed racist and misogynist, according to the article, not me. Turns out that for years, Caruson maintained a racist blog. One post entitled Tranny Paradise addressed a crime story from Thailand. Mr. Carlson, that is uh, Tucker Carlson, said during his opening monologue one night. In another post, Mr. Carlson, quote, helped praise, heaped praise on a former KKK leader, Carlson said. And in still another post from the same period, Caruso described a Jewish man as being handsome despite his Jewry. Caruso told CNN's Brian Stelter, who of course is a mouthpiece for Media Matters and the rest, they do most of his research, that he wrote the blog post as a parody of a right-wing blowhard living my life. Oh, I see. It's kind of grotesque, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? And there's more. The New York Times has somebody on their staff who was also online, who was openly anti-Semitic. And he wasn't some, you know, runner or intern. He was an editor, by memory, or maybe a deputy editor. And relating to stories, news stories, that are written in Washington, D.C., And despite the fact that this information came out, they kept this editor or deputy editor on the staff. Now, this is the tip of the iceberg. This is the tip of the iceberg. People are imperfect. Organizations are imperfect. But as Michael Goodwin was pointing out in the article I read earlier in the program, if you're going to be the judge of who survives and who dies, when it comes to reputation and character and career, then the only fair thing to do, the only just thing to do, is to hold a mirror up and look at who's doing the finger pointing. MSNBC, with two bigots, at least two, the New York Times with a history that goes back to the Confederacy and covering up for Stalin and covering up for Hitler, and with anti-Semites on its staff. All these entities, and there are many more, accuse the President of the United States of racism, of anti-Semitism. They try to destroy the President of the United States. This isn't the golden age, again, of journalism. 
There is no real journalism today. A handful of people does not make a journalistic enterprise. And as I pointed up in Unfreedom of the Press, the biggest problem is, and Goodwin has it in his piece, but as I wrote in my book, the distinction between fact and opinion no longer exists. It simply no longer exists. And this is an entire ideology that has devoured journalism. I told you before, it's called social activism journalism, or they like to call it public or community journalism. And it's been hatched by a number of, of hardcore leftists, where else? These various universities, but one in particular is this guy, Jay Rosen. Professor Jay Rosen. And he's written books about it. And so the takedown of Trump, regardless if it's the Confederate-laced New York Times, or the bigoted-laced MSNBC, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just take them down. Because he's in the way. The Praetorian Guard that protects the Democrat Party, that protects Biden, that protected Obama. Today, protect, uh, protects Pelosi. Not a single reporter in her weekly press conferences says to Nancy Pelosi, all right, we want the president's tax returns. Can we have your tax returns too? Wouldn't that be a rational question, Mr. Producer? It hasn't been asked yet by anybody. Or the Supreme Court justices, the court reporters. Well, since you think it's okay for a local DA to get the president's tax returns under you know, certain conditions. And you didn't say that the president has absolute immunity from Congress getting his tax or financial information. Well then, do you have absolute immunity on the Supreme Court if Congress wants legislative oversight to determine... If you're conducting yourselves the way you should, that question's never asked. And yet it's the most logical next question you could ask. Talking about one branch, the legislative versus the other executive. What about one branch, the legislative versus the courts? There's nothing in the Constitution, nothing whatsoever that prevents the Congress from conducting its oversight activities with respect to the courts any more than the executive branch if it's going to be broadened to include personal private papers of a president of the United States, then obviously it can include personal private papers of Supreme Court justices, even more so. Even more so. Because these are lifetime appointments. They're lifetime appointments. And, as I wrote in Men in Black, and Daniel Horowitz has written in his book on the courts, Congress actually has the power to take jurisdiction away from the Supreme Court. It doesn't. It doesn't do it. And, of course, the left would go nuts because, you know, they love decisions they can ram down our throats and then pretend they're populists. But they could, constitutionally. All right, I'll be right back. in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Washington Examiner, the great Kerry Pickett. Elite private schools are being pressured by black... Now, remember, now Black Lives Matter and related organizations are getting hundreds of millions of dollars from Soros and other left-wing billionaires. I'm convinced that they really are pushing for a race war in this country. It's so outrageous. I'm convinced of it. Because where does this end? Elite private schools are being pressured by Black Lives Matter supporters to include materials on institutional racism and curriculum and student life program. So they're pressuring these private schools to do what the public schools are willingly doing. Black Lives Matter has driven protests against police brutality and earned donations from brand name corporations eager to avoid becoming targets of activists themselves. Prep schools are their next target. A move given momentum through mass protests following the death of George Floyd. Swaths of private secondary schools have since pronounced support for Black Lives Matter. Remember, it is a Marxist anarchist organization self-proclaimed. It is an anti-Semitic organization self-proclaimed, even though they tried to whitewash that. May I use that phrase? I think I will. Even though they're anti-nuclear family, they're anti-the American founding, and they're anti-capitalism. In other words, they're anti-everything we stand for. But that doesn't matter. Now, what schools are we talking about? Well, they include, if I mispronounce them, so be it, the Breary School, the Chapin School, Collegiate School, the Dalton School, Emma Willard, Gilman, the Groton School, the Loomis Chafee School, Miss Porter's School, Phillips Academy, Andover, Phillips Exeter Academy, Sidwell Friends, the Spence School, Tabor Academy, the Taft School, and Westover School. Many came out with anti-racism statements last month following accusations from some alumni of color on a uh, site, Instagram accounts, claiming they experienced instances of racism during their time as students at the institutions. Schools then apologized to black former current students who experienced, quote, systemic racism, unquote, and described actions to eliminate, quote, white supremacy, unquote. All the, white ex- all the while expanding uh, initiatives related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and promoting social justice. So the hard left-wing agenda, this isn't about race, this is about socialism and communism. This is about socialism and communism. To our black ancients and other ancients of color, this is a quote, I see you, I see your pain, I hear and believe you, I am so sorry for what you must be going through, I am committed to supporting you. Catherine Windsor, the Miss Porter's head of school, wrote in her message, George Floyd, Tony McDade, Brianna Taylor, Amud Arbery, and the countless other black people who have lost their lives deserved better. The Dalton School released a similar statement after alumni raised concerns, quote, 
Dalton fully supports community members who are engaging in ongoing dialogue to highlight injustices and encourages students, alumni, faculty, and staff to report any acts of racist, inequitable, or bigoted conduct to the administration. The Upper East Side Prep School said we will continue to have real and actionable conversations about what black people and other people of color have experienced at Dalton. But they weren't enough, of course, for some of the activists, and it never will be enough. That's the point. Quote, if schools are really serious about addressing anti-black racism beyond this mainstream moment, then there will have to be a much greater investment in different policies, practices, and beliefs when the fervor dissipates. Now, doesn't that sound exactly like the Soros guy, Mr. Producer? UCLA education professor and social justice advocate Tyrone C. Howard wrote at edsource.org. When the marches stop, schools will need to look at themselves hard in the mirror and ask, how can we say black lives matter when we are complicit in black student failure? You know what's not in here anywhere? Personal responsibility. Personal accountability. Treating individuals, human beings as individuals. These left-wing groups never talk about individuals. Individual liberty, individual choice, individual accountability, individual responsibility. Nowhere. Nowhere. The private schools, however, include various programs and initiatives throughout their curriculum and student life activities involving anti-racism education workshops. The schools have gone as far as urging their own alumni to... Let me just stop. You know what's happening here? These left-wing groups are creating a a separatist, segregationist-type nation. That's what they're going to create. That's what they're going to create. You can't have integration and segregation at the same time. You just can't. This is extremely destructive. Extremely destructive. And they have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars backing this stuff. It is shocking. It is a disgrace. I have a friend who owns a handful of restaurants. They've been struggling mightily in California. And they got a letter from one of these activist groups that said, we understand that, you know, you give coffee and so forth to police officers who are on the beat. Well, we demand that you give us a contribution to our organization. In other words... They were threatening them, if you don't contribute to our organization because you're cop-friendly, we're going to close your damn businesses down. I said, call the FBI. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, And I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is Radio Free America on The Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. All right, I know you listen to this, you get down, but we're going to push back. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get this president reelected. We're going to do everything we can to take the House and hold the Senate. And then it's going to be pushback time because we're going to need to do that. We need to push back in the states. We need to defund the left. This is my big project that I'm going to talk about over and over and over again. Defund these colleges. Defund these universities. If the public schools are going to continue and not allow for choice. I don't know if you saw Tom Sowell on uh, my Sunday show on Fox Life, Liberty, and Levin, he was fantastic. If we can't get school choice, then we need to defund aspects of the public school system. We can't put up with this anymore. We just can't do it. Mazzy Hirono is from Hawaii, and she's a senator. And this just shows you how low our country has gone. When you can elect a mental patient like this to the United States Senate, I'm starting to think the, the, the United States Senate should be called the United States Senate Mental Institution. And I want you to listen to what she has to say, because I've told you, and I believe it repeatedly, these politicians, media types, academics, Hollywood, so forth, they hate Trump, but they hate Trump because he represents you. They really despise you. When they talk about white privilege, when they talk about Uncle Tom's, when they talk about sellouts, when they, they're talking about all of you folks. All of you folks. They're taking over these private schools the way they've taken over public schools. They're now using mob tactics to threaten private businesses for money. Like a mob. You either give us what we want or we're going to protest you. Mazi Hirono on MSLSD. Cut 12, go. And we should be dealing with the racism that is in our country, to which the president speaks to, because he has a base of supporters who are very anti-immigrant and uh, white supremacists. That's who, that's the, a lot of his base, and that's who he speaks to. So the divisiveness continues. No pushback from MSNBC, owned by Comcast. You're white supremacists. I've about had a damn enough of this. I really have. It's so sickening and so outrageous. This low-life gutter talk from Mazi Hirono. This is racism, ladies and gentlemen. It's the racists who are accusing you of racism. You don't talk this way, do you? Mazi Hirono's a racist. She's a vile... Demagogic, racist. Everybody has a race. And I don't want to hear this crap that non-whites can't be racist. They sure as hell can be. And you just heard one. Maisie Hirono is a racist. 
It's really quite shocking. This is your Democrat Party, which is racist through and through. Why don't we listen to something that makes a little bit of sense? You want to hear a little bit of Thomas Sowell from last night? What a great man. I asked him, what do you think about what's going on in this country today? Cut 18, go. I know that the people who watch this program are very curious on your take on the events that are taking place, the, the way that the nation's direction, what's going on in our inner cities and so forth. What is your general view? What is your general take? Well, I must say, uh, even though I'm uh, regarded as pessimistic, uh, I was never pessimistic enough to think that things would degenerate to the point where they are now, where adult human beings are talking about getting rid of the police, where they're talking about reducing the number of police, reducing the uh, resources put into police work at a time when murder rates have been skyrocketing over what they were just a year ago uh, uh, in 2019. I never dreamed we'd come to this point. It just seems such utter madness. And, and what is frightening is how many people in, in, in responsible positions are caving in to every demand that is made, uh, repeating any kind of nonsense that you're supposed to repeat. Uh, I do believe that we may well be, we may well reach a point of no return. I hope that, of course, that will never happen. But there is such a thing as a mm-hmm. point of no return. Uh, the Roman Empire uh, overcame many uh, problems in its long history, but eventually it reached a point where it simply could no longer uh, continue on. And much of that was, was from within, not just the barbarians attacking from outside. Mm-hmm. It's what Jefferson and Lincoln and Reagan and others said, that if this country is to be destroyed, it will be destroyed from within. And it is being destroyed from within. And you have to decide, not you so much as our fellow citizens, if you're going to take the very passive but necessary step of voting to help at least push off the end date further so that we can regroup. More time assault. Cut 19, go. You hear this phrase, systemic racism, systemic oppression. You hear it uh, on our college campuses. You hear it from very wealthy and fabulously famous sports stars. You hear it from media types. You hear it. First of all, what does that mean? And whatever it means, is it true? It really has no meaning that can be specified and tested in the way that one tests hypotheses. Uh, It does remind me of the propaganda uh, tactics of Joseph Goebbels during the age of the Nazis, uh, in which he's supposed to have said that people will believe any lie if it's repeated long enough and loud enough. And that's what we're getting. I, I don't think, it's one of many words that I don't think even the people who use it have any clear idea what they're saying. Uh, their, their purpose is served by having other people cave in. And you know, Dr. Saul, I notice most people who use that phrase don't live in the communities that they claim to be supporting and defending. 
Some of them have left those communities never to return except on Thanksgiving to hand out turkeys. Uh, others throw their money into these communities for a school or so forth, but they don't live there. They don't send their kids to school there. They live among the quote-unquote uh, systemically racist, I suppose. And isn't this part of the problem with the Marxist left? They're absolute hypocrites. They, they claim they want equality for all. Uh, they claim that there'll be the withering away of the state, the police departments, reimagine law enforcement and so forth and so on. And yet every time you look at a Marxist state, it is an authoritarian, top-down, centralized police state. Is it not? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and trying to get away from uh, uh, social class differences, they create their own nomenclature who have their own stores that they alone can, uh, can uh, shop in, their own medical facilities, their own everything. I want to know if you agree with me or not. You don't have to, obviously. I see the 1860 election and the 1864 election as the two most important elections in American history. And now I see 2020 as one of the most important elections in history, even apart from the candidates. We're talking about the 1776 project versus the 1619 project. And you can see where the Democrats have tied into the 1619 project. And many of the Republicans are trying to defend the founding in the 1776 project. Do you see it that way? Well, what I, what I see is that if the, the uh, election go, goes to Biden, that, that there's, a, there's a good chance that the Democrats will then control all three, all, all the two branches of Congress and the White House. And considering the kinds of things that they're proposing, uh, that could well be the point of no return for this country. Point of no return. I agree with him. I think we're reaching the point of no return <clears throat> if we don't have some pushback. And I mean strong pushback. Mark, what do we do? There's a lot you can do. Do your kids go to college? Well, find out what the hell they're being taught. And either fight the college, if they're off the rails, and they probably are, or get your kid the hell out of there. You're still a parent. A lot of these kids still rely on you. You've got to take a much more forceful and active role. If your kid goes to, or kids, an elementary school or middle school or high school, you need to know what the hell's going on in that classroom and what's going on in that school. You need to show up at these school board meetings, and you and 10 or 20 of your neighbors or, or parents need to go and monitor this stuff. You pay for it. They try to intimidate you. They, they, uh, they have these PTAs and PTOs that they basically run. You don't need to be part of a PTA or a PTO. Look, when I was 19 years old, I started the Committee for Tax Limitation in my little township, a Cheltenham township. I think there was about 38,000 people back then, probably less today. And uh, we took on everybody. And then eventually I decided to run, and I had the backing of my tax organization or anti-tax organization, and eventually the Republicans, but I took them all on, and I won. 19, 20 years old. There's a lot you can do, but you need to do it. You need to pigeonhole your state representative and your state senator and tell them you want them to cut the budgets of these colleges and universities. You want them to defund them. Cut them 20%. Cut them 25%. You don't care where. Just cut them. You don't need to be an expert on what their budgets are. Cut them. 
you want to know who decides what textbooks are going to go into your elementary school or your middle school or your high school. And you want to see them in advance before you pay for them through your tax dollars. It's the squeaky wheel. I want you to be the squeaky wheel. You know, they're burning down buildings. They're looting. Just be a squeaky wheel. It works. It has an effect. And when it comes to this election, as I say often, you need to be a precinct worker. Don't wait for a Republican precinct worker. You need to gather people and get them out to vote. You need to use your telephone, your iPhone, your email, whatever it is. You need to make sure if they need absentee ballots and even if there's mail-in voting. Well, if we've got to participate in that, which we shouldn't have to, but if that's the system, then use the system. Let us use the system, their system, to defeat them. Offense. Go on offense. Nobody's asking anybody to to put on the uniform and, uh, uniform and go to Afghanistan or Syria or whatever. I'm not asking you to join the military. But be active. And remember the founders. Remember the Revolutionary War. Remember the greatness of those men. Remember the Constitutional Convention. Our enemies don't like it. Who gives a damn what they like? Screw them! George Washington. Jefferson. Madison. Heroes of this country. Heroes of this country. Tremendous men. Tremendous men. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, when I said earlier in the show, the chart that I used, the table that was on the CDC site disappeared and people called into Mr. Call Screener and they said, well, you know, uh, they're updating the information. That's not how you update information. You don't disappear things. You put the word update and you update. Right, Mr. Producer? You don't eliminate the information you had before, so I don't buy that. I mean, that's basic stuff. Aren't they smart enough over the CDC to do that? Here's an update. No. You don't blow out information like it never occurred before. The press in our country, you need to understand, the press in our country is the kind of press you have in a fascistic or Marxist regime. 
in a fascistic or Marxist regime. The same tenured professors who are poisoning the minds, brainwashing students in the, in the other areas of uh, education, have done the same in journalism. And those who aren't graduates of a journalism school or with a journalism degree, the vast majority of them come out of the Democrat Party and therefore populate the media. I'm not hawking it, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm working on my next book, and it's very difficult because I want to address things that are going to make a difference, a big difference as much as I can. I always have Thomas Paine in the back of my mind. But if you really want to understand the media, unfreedom of the press, deeply discounted on Amazon. I want to salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and everybody out there. God bless each and every one of you. All of you patriotic Levinites. I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.